Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. Thank you. Good morning. I'm so happy to spend my Mother's Day with you. Happy birthday. It's Quinn Weber's 40th birthday today. What in the world? She is the definition of extraordinary mothering. I honor you, my friend. There's no one like you. Um, And she literally runs hundreds of miles. Like, it's not a metaphor. (laughs) I wanna honor my girls who have made me a mother. I have four girls, Kylie, Ava, Arabelle, Liberty, they are the beat of my heart. When I uh, found out I was, Pregnant. I, I took like 45 tests. They all said I was pregnant. And we, we were super confident we were having a boy three times. Ava was the only one we were confident was a girl. Um, so just, just uh, you know, receive our prophetic words with a grain of salt, you know? Um, no one hears perfectly. It takes a whole body. And... I just remember being huge pregnant and with my first baby girl and I, I, I sat in the Bayshore Mall parking lot and my stomach was so big, it was touching the steering wheel. And I just was sobbing because I was so terrified that I was going to be a terrible mother. And uh, I just felt like I was not capable of mothering daughters. And my uh, prophetic sense of having a boy was probably because I thought I would be a better boy mom than a girl mom. And every uh, daughter I had, um, I realized that mothering was more about me learning how to be a daughter than learning how to be a mother. And that my girls became my visual aid of what it means to live life in the kingdom. And by the time we were at the fourth sonogram, and he said, it's a girl. Uh, My eyes were just so teary because I, I felt so believed in that there was a God who believed more about me than I believed about myself. And so the greatest honor is to mother daughters in my life and what that means for me and my personal story. And so I just wanna honor uh, the moms in the room. I wanna honor uh, the mothers in waiting, that you are a mother already in your heart. And I want to honor the mothers who um, have had a longevity of believing for their babies to manifest on the earth. You keep our waters 
pure. You keep our waters clean. I honor your faith. I honor your perseverance. I honor the way that you live the gospel in fullness now. That the fullness uh, of heaven, there will be no title above, above child. That the greatest title in the kingdom is child. And when we live in the fullness of that identity on the earth, we are living in the fullness of the gospel. So thank you. Thank you for those of you that are single. Maybe you're waiting for your husband so you can become a mother. <laughs> thank you for living in the fullness of the gospel now. Because when you get married, you don't get more of Jesus. When you become a mom, you don't get more of Jesus. You have the fullness of Jesus now. And thank you for your steadfast gaze on him now. Uh, if, you if you have kids in your womb or in your house, I honor you. And I just felt like Jesus wanted to say, however you think you're doing, you're wrong. <laughs> you're totally wrong. You, you are doing infinitely better than has even scratched your imagination. His thoughts on you are so much higher, wider, and above what you could think about yourself on your best day when you're absolutely crushing it. And I just, I saw him with this book that Psalm 139 talks about. And he was taking notes all day long um, of, of all the things his people are doing on the earth that are so beautiful. And uh, you know, when our heads hit the pillow, where our brain wants to go is to our worst moment in the day. And it just wants to ruminate over it and think on it and try to control it by judging ourselves and fixing it. And, uh, you know, I never heard anybody say I became more like Jesus uh, through regret. I, I judged myself into Christ likeness. And nobody's ever shared that testimony with me. And Jesus was ruminating over everything you were getting right. He was ruminating over everything you were growing in, you were stretching in, everything you were doing well. She looks like me right there. He looks like me right there. Look at that. Look at that. That is my girl. That is my boy. And we do best when we magnify what he is magnifying. And, you know, all of us have weaknesses and deficits and failures. And you know, the, the power of the gospel living through you is getting on the side of Jesus in your failure. Getting on the side of Jesus in your deficits. Believing what he believes in your moments of failure. The kindness of Jesus leads to the repentance that brings change. And uh, if, if you are, are the mother of adult children, I honor you.
thank you for pioneering a way uh, to show us what true trust and surrender looks like. And um, if, if you're a mother who has lost a child in your womb on this earth, I honor you. I honor you. And I, I felt the, the nearness of Jesus this morning um, holding mothers who have had to grieve loss that is unjust. And I just felt Jesus with a thank you. Thank you for letting me be your comforter in your grief. Thank you for letting me be as close as your losses. And this morning we honor you. We honor you in, in what your story has meant in a life of radical faith. Who would we be without women? <laughs> Not here, nobody would be here. <laughs> you need us as much as we need you. <laughs> when you diminish one, you diminish the other. So Holy Spirit, we love you this morning. We love you. We just thank you that you created women in your image. That everything about our design is in your image. That everything we manifest and carry on the earth was crafted from who you are. We look like you, we reflect you, we bring your nature to the world around us. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are the fulfiller of every promise Jesus made. That he said, I'm not leaving you in the way that you're used to being left, bereft, lacking something. I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. So this morning, every place that maybe we came in feeling bereft, lacking something, we open wide Holy Spirit and we receive your fullness. You are the greatest gift I've ever been given. You are the redeemer in the lowest places of my story. You are the air that I breathe. You are my helper. I thank you for making me yours. Thank you for giving us this family that gets to live in your presence together forever. We honor you, Holy Spirit. We honor you. We love you.
you are our happiest, most fulfilling thought. And we just, we sign up all over again this morning for how radical a life of following Jesus is. If you want to follow me, you got to hate your mother, hate your brother, hate your sister, hate your friends, hate your kids. What? We sign up all over again to give you the highest place. We have one God, one King, one Lord. We bow before none other. You alone have our worship. You alone have our loyalty. We belong to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we're, we're, I loved uh, Mike's message last week. Was that so beautiful? Incredible. Uh, I had, I'm going to jump in a similar vein of Old Testament stories that we just cherish our, our heritage in the faith, our fathers and mothers in the faith. So if you want to uh, look at Numbers 13, uh, you know, I, I've, I've had this question rolling around in my heart for almost a year now. Uh, do you see pharaohs or do you see stones? And, you know, when we look at this story of the people of God living as slaves in Egypt for 430 years, um, we, we come to the point in the story where they have been radically delivered uh, from Pharaoh, right? That, that when, when the Bible says, can a nation be saved in a day, this deliverance from Egypt is what that looks like. It was potentially millions of people literally got up and walked out of Egypt. <laughs> millions of people dressed in the clothing of their captors. Not only did they just stand up and walk out of Egypt, they plundered hell while they were at it. And when we talk about uh, what Pharaoh represents in New Covenant thinking, um, Pharaoh is not people on the earth. Um, Pharaoh is a representation of the source of evil flowing through people on the earth. And the source of all evil um, is the one who came to steal, kill, and destroy. And so as we're looking at what Pharaoh means to us, Pharaoh means the devourer, the one who came to take life, to diminish humanity. And, you know, the, when God calls Moses to be the deliverer, you know, he says, uh, who am I? 
you know, like, who am I just to go tell Pharaoh, let your people go? That, that doesn't seem like it's going to go very well. And um, he, God says, I'll be with you. I am with you. And this will be a sign to you when you're out of Egypt, you'll worship me on this mountain. Like so, so this is the ways of our God. He asks you to do something 100% impossible. And then you say, give me a sign. This is you. Sure, sure. When this is over, <laughs> you're going to know that you know that you know that it was me. You got it, babe. You're going to worship me. Your worship is going to be the sign that I did what I said I was going to do. So faith, uh, it, 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 it happens on the other side of the story sometimes. <laughs> and so Moses was like, um, okay, well, what's your name? Like, who am I supposed to say is, is with me? And he's like, I am. I am. Just tell them I am sent you. Anybody that is walking with God for any amount of time understands what this means. <laughs> this means you will not be led by reason. <laughs> Nothing about your God will make sense. <laughs> that is why you give your life away at the beginning. You, you don't make installments of your life. Okay, well, let's just start over here with 10%. You know, there's no such thing as giving God a try. Day one, you die. You die. And you keep getting to wake up and die again. And this was what Moses was signing up for. So they have, and it was a scene, this deliverance from Egypt. It was a scene. I mean, impossibility after impossibility after impossibility. And then they get to the very brink of their promised land, right? And God says, go check out the land I'm giving to you. And the spies go, we know it's one of our most beloved stories, our story, our lineage. And they come back with these grapes Justin likes to talk about, these big fatty grapes that took two men to carry a bushel of grapes. And um, it was uh, everything that the Lord promised the land would be, um, plus a lot of giants. And uh, so, so this is what happened. You know, everybody but Caleb and Joshua were like, we're not able. This is not possible. We will die, is basically what they said. They're stronger than us. Um, the land through which we have gone to spy out, it is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are great of height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from Nephilim. And we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seem to them. 
In chapter 14, then all the congregation raised a loud cry and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. And then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces. So it's just profound that they had the most radical deliverance out of slavery and and they're confronted with a threat and they're literally asking, can somebody else split the Red Sea and walk us back in there? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, like what? so you think God is gonna reopen the sea for you to go back to slavery? And you know, this is, this response, uh, makes sense when you know the context of their story. And this is what psychologists call a trauma bond. When uh, oppression feels like home, when emotional torment that makes you feel small feels like home, that for 430 years, the people of God were treated like they did not deserve to exist. We have stories all across this room where the people of God were reduced to a nobody like a grasshopper. And you know, they seem to themselves the way that Pharaoh treated them. And, you know, they were terrified for their children because their children were literally being thrown into the Nile. The story of Moses in a basket was not like a baby going for a float. They, they were commanded to throw their firstborn sons in the Nile to be murdered. And this is the context of normalcy for what slavery looked like to the identity of the people of God. And the tragedy of evil on the earth, in a broken, fallen world, is not the moments that evil is taking place. It is the way that evil continues to be perpetuated inside ourselves. That they seemed to themselves like grasshoppers in their own eyes that their very identity, the way that they saw themselves 
was shaped by how Pharaoh treated them. They had become one with the way that they were treated as a nobody. You do not deserve to exist. And you know, when you look at the radical deliverance that happened, the acts of God got them out of Egypt. And the Bible says that uh, Israel was familiar with the acts of God, but Moses knew the ways of God. And the acts of God delivered them, but it would require the ways of God to be a Joshua, a Caleb, a Moses, an Aaron that says, we are able. We are able, not because we're bigger and stronger, but because they knew why their God delivered them. And until you know why he rescued you, you can get out of Egypt and remain on the borders of your promised land. And they did not know why God did what he did to set them free. And so we have Jesus coming, trumpeting, saying, no longer are you servants because a servant doesn't know why his master is doing what he's doing. But now I call you friends. I want you to know my why. I want you to know my ways. And, you know, they, they end up going. <laughs> the, the thing about the way that we lead the next generation, whether it, in parenting or our spheres of influence, that the greatest gift we give the next generation is not our belief in them. Because what will truly prophesy to the next generation is how you seem to yourself. They seem to themselves like grasshoppers. So their response prophesied, your kid's going to die, your kid's going to die, your kid's going to die. We are all going to be devoured. We are going to die. And... This, uh, what heals evil, defining our identity, injustice that has, has been being passed down for generations. You know, Deuteronomy says, curses, which uh, really at the heart of a curse is any lie that diminishes the nature of your God. Any lie, any false belief that keeps you disconnected from who your God truly is for you. And this is how it started in the garden. Did God really say? Doubt his nature. Question if he's good. Question if he's kind. Did he really say? 
and a curse passed from one generation to the next is experiences that caused us to have our rest and our trust in the nature of God removed. And Deuteronomy says that is passed down from three to four generations, but the loving kindness of the Lord, the blessing of the favor of his face lasts to a thousand generations. And so at the heart of of what this meant was their lack of trust in who their God was, was prophesying to the next generation, your God is not as big as these giants. Your God is not able. It's safer for you to be in the hands of Pharaoh than it is to be in the hands of your God. And so God says this generation is going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And your children are the ones who will see the promised land. The ones that you said will be these giants prey. And for 40 years, the hand of the Lord fed them directly. Manna from heaven. That, you know, when you... They needed to heal this trauma that that Pharaoh defined their identity. They needed an attachment with their God that was bigger than their attachment to Pharaoh. They needed experiences with their God that could overwhelm the familiarity of being treated like they did not deserve to exist. And the starting point of attachment in human development, brain science nerd coming out a little bit, is you attach to the one who feeds you. And for 40 years, God took care of his people in the wilderness. And, you know, Joshua, Moses dies, and God says, it's time. And, and Joshua um, circumcises all the men. <laughs> and, um, apologize. And the, the Bible says, after they were all circumcised, God says to Joshua, today I've rolled away the shame of Egypt. Today, the shame of how you were treated has been rolled away. And, you know, the people that would take the land had to know why did he deliver us? And in uh, Deuteronomy 7, God tells us why. 7 verse 6. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. 
the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other that the people set, that God set his love on you and chose you. For you were actually the fewest of all people. But it, be, it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. The Lord your God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. So God's saying, he rescued you because he loves you. Not because you're the biggest, not because you're the best, but because he loves you. And what the, the people of God were measuring their ability within themselves. And the reality was these people were giants and they were not. But what God was wanting them to do is measure their ability according to who he is, not according to who they are not. That his promise all throughout scripture is not, you got this, you got this, you got this, you got this. His promise is, I am with you. I am with you. You are not able because you are awesome. You are able to remain an innocent, vulnerable child in a crazy, chaotic, dark world because there is a lion padding by your side who has overcome every evil, demonic, destructive force present on the earth. And the cross is the only way to redeem what Pharaoh stole. That the cross is the place that the God who is with you takes up residence on your insides. And Jesus said, every place where you were reduced to a nobody. It, look at your life. Where are the places you cannot travel with joyful trust? Not like just muster up faith and get it done, but this is gonna be the happiest, most wonderful ride to trust you. I'm so excited about what you're gonna do. I cannot wait to see how extravagant and extraordinary this is going to be. I love to trust in my God. My happy place is stepping into battles on the earth I'm destined to lose. I love it when everything around me, the odds are so eternally against me and he says, pick up your stone. I love to live a life that is impossible without a God that's with me. Any place that isn't bursting with that kind of expectation, Pharaoh shaped. Any place you seem small, 
insignificant, a nobody not worth existing, any place you're traveling with fear and anxiety and poverty, there is a reason. And Jesus went as low as your reason. And Isaiah said he was treated like a nobody. He was not, the world turned their face from him, spit on his body so that he could get as low as the parts of you who needed redemption. And when the people of God were on the brink of their promised land with Joshua, God said, I'm gonna split this Jordan. And when you get to the bottom of the water and you're walking through dry ground, pick up every liter, 12 stones from the bottom of this river and take it to the other side and build a memorial so when your kids walk through, these stones will prophesy. And you'll say, our God redeemed us. He walked us through the Jordan. He walked us out of Egypt through the Red Sea. And these stones will tell the story. And in the new covenant, the cross takes you to the bottom of the river. And the New Testament says, Jesus is the living stone. Jesus is the bottom of your redemption. And night and day, day and night, this living stone is prophesying about your future. Prophesying the blood of Jesus is speaking about your worth, about your destiny, about your redemption, about your children and their children and their children. He is the great interrupter of the curses that have been passed down into your generational line. He's the one that said, I'll go first. I will become the curse that has kept you small, insignificant, on the outside of love. And we pick up the bottom of our redemption when we pick up our cross. We put it on our back and we say, every day I have been redeemed. I am now a house of blessing. Every curse spoken into my family line has found an ending point in the blood of Jesus that is pumping through my veins. I am no longer who Pharaoh said I am. My shoulders are up. My head is high. I am a gate of heaven. The king of glory is flooding through my life. Your redeemer lives. Your redeemer is living through you through a thousand generations. And it's in the morning when you feel hopeless. Why am I here? Why do I exist? I'm a failure. You put your shoulders up. My life is not about my size. My life is not about my stature. It's safe to be small as long as I have a ginormous God 
as long as I have a father who is infinitely bigger than any evil happening on this earth. My life will not be about my exploits. Those who know their God will carry out great exploits. My life will be about knowing my God. The promised land in the kingdom is the access to knowing your God. The fruit we bring the world around us is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Let me show you what God is like. Love, patience, gentleness, kindness, goodness, self-control. He is stable. He is our promised land. This is what David, the giant killer, knew. He says in the Psalms, he brought me into a broad, open place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. He did it because he loves you. It was for the joy of knowing that you would be his, that he endured the cross. Let's all stand up. You are a house of blessing on this earth. The world around you needs the blessing that is living within you. Every place the sole of your foot treads is the place you leave the fragrance of Jesus, the light of Jesus, the renown of Jesus. The Lord bless you and keep you and cause his happy face to shine upon you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.